First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. episode 702 of first class fatherhood i am happy as always to be here with you guys today i got a fellow jersey guy joining me on the podcast today chris gethard joins me on the podcast he is a comedian actor he hosts a podcast of his own called beautiful anonymous he was the host of the chris gethard show between 2011 and 2018 he's done stand-up comedy all over the world you've seen him on there with conan And he was also part of a documentary called Class Action Park that was made about the water park in New Jersey uh, that was very, very popular during the 80s and early 90s. Chris Gethard gives some hilarious commentary during the documentary. What's crazy is I recently watched this documentary for the first time. It's been out for a while now, uh, for quite a few years, but I just watched it for the first time not that long ago. And my wife and I really, really enjoyed it. Not so much just about the action park, but just about growing up in New Jersey in the 80s and early 90s, which uh, it was so well done. But the following day after watching the documentary is when I got hit up by Chris's publicist to book him on First Class Fatherhood to talk about his new uh, book, his new ebook, The Lonely Dad Conversations, which is available now. Link is in the bio. Uh, so I thought, wow, what a coincidence. Really enjoyed my conversation with him. He's going to be here in just a few minutes. Chris Gethard. So please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Chris Gethard was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you want to watch today's conversation between the stand-up comedian and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, if you guys enjoyed today's interview with Chris Gethard and you want to hear some of the other comedian dads that have stopped by the podcast here, I'll go through the archives and listen to my interviews with Steve Harvey, Jim Brewer, Joel McHale, Howie Mandel, and so many other comedy dads who have stopped by along the way here. All those episodes, of course, available to listen to at your convenience. Don't forget, the hockey playoffs are underway. NBA playoffs are underway. Baseball has started once again. Take your kid to a game. You're going to enjoy the experience, and you could save $20 on your tickets if you buy them at SeatGeek.com and use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS. At the checkout, save $20 on your tickets. All right, and as always, please let me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview right now with Chris Gethard on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Chris Gethard. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Oh, what a joy. Thank you for for saying that because I don't often feel like a first class father. So I'll take it. Well, if you made it here, you made it on the uh, you, you got the title. So let's let's start right there. How many kids do you have? How old are they? I just got the one. He turns four in two weeks. Wow. Very cool. Uh, you know, it, what's interesting, Chris, I, I just before we get into this, um, a few weeks back, uh, my wife and I had watched the um, the documentary. Uh, class action park for the first oh, time man. and i'm a jersey guy my wife's a jersey girl and uh it, we, we thought it was so well done it was more of a story of just really growing up in jersey in the 80s and in the 90s yeah. and we thought it was so cool and i loved your commentary during it and it was the following day that i got the message from polly about your new um 
uh, uh, special on fatherhood and the whole bit. And I was like, wow, this is amazing timing. You know, this would be awesome to have you on. Uh, so if you could j- just hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Um, I'm kind of, as you mentioned, a Jersey guy. I've been making comedy stuff in New York City for many years. I've always just sort of felt like a Jersey guy doing my own thing. Um, I used to have a TV show that I hosted. I've had an HBO special. I do a lot of stand-up. I've written a few books now. So I just kind of keep finding opportunities where they come. But as as I think you would identify with as a Jersey guy, mostly it's just like, Keep trying to work hard. Keep trying to find a new hustle. Keep trying to see who will help me pay my mortgage by making stuff. And somehow after 23 years, it keeps working out. I, I hear that. I'm a, I'm a railroad mechanic myself. Uh, yeah, I work for the railroad here in Jersey. I'm in my closet right now. I do this podcast on the side. Hustled a lot of Uber. Uh, I, I know a little bit about uh, what it's all about. Now, you said four years old. So take me back then four years ago. How old were you when you became a dad? And how did that experience change your perspective on life? I was a little bit older. I was 39. Um, It absolutely changed my perspective on life, scrambled my priorities, rearranged what I thought was important, um, made me instantly more physically tired. I go to bed at 10 o'clock now. It's insane. I've been living the life of a comedian for 23 years. We stay up till one, two in the morning routinely on weekdays, you know, go out, pick up as many sets as you can and stay up. Now, all of a sudden it hits 10 30 at night and i feel like the sun is about to come up i'm so tired so as far as you know my routine was one that was like stay up definitely kind of cool looking back on it i never felt cool i would never say that i was cool but that life of like go out and do shows and see other comics and grab a drink after the show grab some late night food before the next show oh it's when's your last set not until two in the morning let's do it like there's a little bit of some rock star life in that, you know, so I had to give that up real quick, but it felt totally worth it. It, it was it happened way faster than I thought. But I also will say I appreciate small things now. I don't feel so much anxiety over these things that might or might not happen in the future. I'm really learning how to slow down and enjoy the things that I do have right now. Um, I'm well aware of how quickly this moves. It's astounding how many just leaps in development my son takes. And I'm actually trying now to intentionally, you know, for a while I was like, man, I'm a dad now. Can I still have a comedy career? Now I'm sitting here going, what can I change? Because I don't want to travel so much. I don't want to spend so much time on the road and and airports and hotels and planes. That used to be fun. That used to feel, even for my wife, I think that was a good thing for both of us. You know, I'll be gone for the weekend. Absence will make the heart grow fonder. Now it's like, no, it just sticks her with all the work. And then I come back and I feel like he's aged a year and three days. So, yeah, layered question with a rambly answer. What's interesting about that, too, Chris, is during the pandemic, I think a lot of dads found that out, is that they got a chance to be home more than ever before. And they realized how much they were really missing out, uh, <clears throat> whether that be at the office or traveling so much. And a lot of everyone had to cut their whole calendar clean. And they spent more time with their family. And I, I listen, I don't envy the uh, the dads that start late. I, I started in my early 20s. I was 24, 25 when I became a dad. I got four kids now. But it, 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 it is a young man's game in many aspects of, of this whole thing. And so uh, we see a, a push towards men uh, and women, you know, starting later and later in life and having kids. And I'm always trying to say, well, you may want to start a little. Early. I mean, my father had me 
when he was 50 years old. So talk about late in the game. I mean, uh, that was definitely pushing it. But uh, it's definitely, um, I would say, a young man's game for sure. And now, are you planning on having any more or are we we one and done here? One and done. If if another one comes along, it it will definitely be an accident. Um, God bless all of you who do this more than once. It's, you know, it's funny because sometimes I have friends who are like, yeah, but our kids entertain each other. And that means that we get a little more breathing room because they can go play together. But I'm like, man, having done it once, I can't imagine. I'm so tired. I can't keep extending this process. No way. But I hear what you're saying. Like my, I was my dad. My, I had my older brother and me. My dad was 27 when he had me. He was 24 when he had my brother. And I said to him, I was like, man, I'm jealous. Like, we were out of the house and you still got a little bit of the end of, of life. You know, I'm doing the math. I'm going, when my kid graduates college, I'm going to be retirement age. It's going to be over for me. It's like, you got the back half of life to go travel and do stuff, see things. He's like, yeah, he's like the other end of it, though. He's like, you were 39 and had like figured out who you were and had a career that felt stable. I was a kid. None of that was locked in financially. So I was sweating it the whole time. So grass is always greener, I guess. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, especially, too, like you mentioned there, trying to get your ducks lined up in a row and get yourself financially stable, uh, understanding the thought process there. Now, do you include, I know obviously you have The Lonely Dad is the new album that you have out or the new special. Uh, You found, when did you start incorporating your dad life, your fatherhood journey into your comedy career, and how did you kind of make that flow happen? Well, I'm somebody who, if, if you go back through my career, I've always just written from a place of what's honest. You know, I, I'm I'm not so much a one-liner guy so much as a storyteller. So I think for the people who are cut from that cloth of a storyteller comedian, it's always just the things happening in your life lead to stories and the most interesting stories show up on stage. So for me, it was very natural. Um, it's a little bit of a cliche for a comedian to have a kid and then their whole act starts bending to be about their kid. But I always just try to think a little differently. You know, I'll say like, one of the things that shows up in my act on stage a lot is this idea of understanding my father a lot more than I ever did. That That's an angle that I haven't seen as much where I have a lot of jokes about my kid, but also a lot of jokes about, oh, I thought my dad had days where he was a maniac. And now I'm in my 40s and I finally understand for the first time what was going on in his head. So all that stuff showing up, the, the Lonely Dad conversations, that's actually a, a book that I just put out that's it interviews with a whole bunch of other dad friends of mine um excuse me mostly because i found that when i when my son was born i started feeling this like weird loneliness i hadn't felt before this weird sense of loneliness and i I started asking other dad friends of mine if they felt it and some of them had but more often than not they were like i know what you're talking about but for me it's this and led to all sorts of conversations about i think specifically a lot about you know here's how we were raised versus how we'd like to raise our kids. And I think especially for dads of young ones right now, that's a big conversation, big conversation. So I just always try to be honest, try to deal with what's actually going on right in front of me. It's an important one too, Chris, because there are so many dads, especially, you know, because of all the changes that it does bring in your life and everything seems to come at you at a hundred miles an hour and life still goes on. Meanwhile, your whole life has completely changed uh, as you try to adapt and balance this entire thing, especially if you're in a different spot where your friend group is, where your friends haven't had kids or they've had kids and you haven't yet. It creates this divide in the kids that you grew up with. So these conversations are definitely ones that need to take place, uh, whether they be at the comedy level or at the uh, at any level, as long as they're happening 
happening because I, I talk about on this show uh, the fatherless crisis that we have where we have so many kids that are growing up without a dad, without a father in their life because of many reasons. But for, for one, for sure, we've had too many dads walk away from their responsibilities as father because it, so much of this stuff got to be too much for them and they just split and we're, we're crushing a whole generation of kids because of it. Yeah, I'm with you. I hear you. And I also feel like there's also so many conversations about masculinity in general right now, you know, of like this idea. I think a, a lot of us are, you know, there's this whole idea of being woke and it's not that. But I do think I, I think back there was a kid I went to high school with. I remember and he was a sports star. And there was one day where he missed a foul shot in a basketball game. And as all the rest of us were leaving, his dad had him cornered behind the school in this, in this corner, just screaming in his face, like pushing him up against the wall. How could you miss that? Da, da, da. And I think we would all go like, you don't have to be woke to go like, yeah, that wasn't cool that that used to happen back then. And I think for a lot of us, we knew there were kids who really took it on the chin with these like aggressive, angry dads. And I think so many of us right now are going like, well, all right, we want to lighten up. We want to soften up. But how? Because that wasn't the example set for us, you know, like being a dad back in the day meant you were like a workaholic who was tired and stressed all the time. And that was part of it. But a lot of us right now are going, I don't want to be that. But what, so what do you be, in, what, what can you be instead? Because there's not really, there's not really an example that's been set before. The prior three or four generations dating back to before World War II was like, being a dad means being like tough and tired. It's like, I don't know, who wants that? Is that I don't know if that's what we want anymore, tough and tired. I think there's good examples to be said through those things, but there's a more well-rounded picture we're starting to turn the corner on. And I think about it a lot. You're right, Chris, and I talk to so many dads. We're not the dads of the years before. Dads are much more involved in things like changing diapers and doing stuff yeah. like that, where that was unheard of for someone in my father's generation to, for the man to do something like that. So the, the the man's role, fatherhood has definitely changed a lot. Like you'll hear that if you're at the supermarket or something, and you're with the kid, and the and the and, the, and your wife's friends will see you, and they'll be like, "Oh, what are you babysitting today?" Or, "Oh, what, what are you giving her a break?" And it's like, "No, you know, I, I'm I'm dad here. Like this is what I do." And so there has definitely been, you know, a, a shift in the way, it, you know, I think for for the better. But you're right. Like, how do you? Um, how do you make that work? Now, one of the questions I ask almost every dad that comes on the podcast that I'll ask you is about the discipline style. Number one, that you grew up with. And number two, that you have. I know he's only four now, your, 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 your child now. But most of the dads that I get on here will say, oh, man, you know, I grew up with a totally different type of discipline. My father, you know, hit me with the belt, the switch. He smacked me. And I don't do that to my kids. So we see that shift in, in the discipline style. But yet these guys that I do speak to are very successful in life. And a lot of them will say, hey, that did help me along the way. So what kind of disciplinarian are you and what did you grow up with? I grew up, I don't remember ever getting hit, maybe spanked a couple times when I was really young. Um, but I will say what I grew up with as a kid who was raised Irish Catholic in North Jersey and being a Jersey guy, I'm sure you know this type of just relentless guilt, just guilt, just like guilt and fear. I, I think uh, my mom was very masterful with the guilt as a controlling mechanism. And there was also, I look back and actually will say, I feel a lot of sympathy for my dad now because he was kind of used as a boogeyman. There was a lot of when your father gets home, there was a lot of that. And then there were times where he'd get home from a real long shift of work and he would just want to relax. And me and my brother were kind of cowering in fear because we'd been made to think he was going to flip out. There was that thing too, right? The dreaded, 
I'm going to call your dad while he's at work and you know, like, oh, you're interrupting his work day. And when he comes home, he's going to be so pissed and he's going to yell and just that fear and guilt. And I don't want to do that. It's it's funny. I just noticed he, he even did this morning. My son, he can tell when I'm being serious. He respects when he's pushing things too far. I've had to yell at him a couple times, but I'm really trying to make sure he doesn't live scared of me. I regret it. I feel like I didn't totally get to know my dad as a guy until my mid to late 20s. That's when I could let my guard down around my dad. And it's a shame. It's a shame to think of that much of my life. My guard was up around him a little bit because of all this childhood discipline and fear mongering. Even this morning, my son, I was getting him ready for school and he, he wouldn't put his shoes on. He wouldn't just stop. And I finally went, buddy, I'm getting really frustrated. You can hear it. And he, it made me laugh so hard. He looks right at me. He goes, well, you haven't done the breathing thing yet. And what he means is when I get really frustrated, he'll push me too far and I'll go, "Uh," and he hears it. And that's a thing I get from my dad. I just remember that, like, I'd hear that bear growl come out of my dad, just that, like, and I'd be like, well, I'm pushing it too far. I got to get my act together. And what I really like is my son and I have a relationship where he both respects it, but he's making fun of it at the same time. He's like, Daddy, I know you're not really frustrated. You haven't done that breathing thing yet. And I find that very charming. And I don't feel like I'm a pushover. I feel like he and I have an understanding of like that breathing means that you're pissing me off. It means something has to change. But also you and I have an open communication line enough that you can also bust my balls about it a little bit. And as long as you're putting your shoes on, you can bust my balls. And we can start laughing about this right away. It feels healthy to me. It feels good. And I don't think it's too soft. And I do think about it. Of like, I don't. You know, especially as a dad to a son, you go, and for me too, like, my last name spells out the words get hard. Like, I, I went to a school in a working, public schools in a working class section of my town. Like, had to learn how to stand up for myself. I had to fight sometimes. I don't love that that happened, but yeah, it served me okay. I don't want to raise a kid who's soft for the sake of being soft, but the idea of him going, do the breathing thing. And then I know you're really frustrated. And I go, okay, that's both a sign that you understand the limits, but we can break balls. I like that. I like that. That feels like a good fit. It's hard to find that. that and I know exactly what you're talking about. And when I had uh, Matthew McConaughey on the show here, he talked about the exact same thing saying like, you want to allow your kid to be able to climb the tree and not have the fear, but you don't want him to climb so high that if he does fall, it's going to be devastating if he hits the ground. So it's like, where is that right limb to say, okay, that's high enough. Come on down. And we want them to be able to stretch that. We don't want them to be soft. We don't want them to be uh, hard as nails. We, we got to try to find that balance somewhere. And with each kid, as I said, I have four. It's, it's difficult to find that balance within each one of them because it's different with each one. Some of them, you have to go a little harder than others. So uh, it, it, it certainly is challenging. But And, and, and just, to, just to get back into the comedy part of this, like when I, when I spoke to um, uh, Steve Harvey on the show here, Howie Mandel, a lot of this thing has become the cancel culture problem with comedy it almost seems like you have to watch what you say you have to kind of uh tread water i guess have you found that to be the case has it changed your style of comedy at all have you been okay with all this i've been okay with it i've always had a reputation for being a guy who's a little more thoughtful and sensitive if anything i think the the guys mad about cancel culture would probably make fun of me and say i'm soft i don't view it as such i think um i i do understand it I've seen situations where even someone who has a pretty 
emo act like me there's been times where i've had to defend myself a little bit and i go well we have to be able to take some chances if we ever want to be able to talk about anything i do think there's another side of the coin though where there's also consequences and that needs to be true too right like what drives me nuts is not every comedian is out there doing this daring risky stuff there are some people who are just saying stuff to see what they can get away with. And then when people get upset, they get upset. And I go that in my mind, that's really soft. Like I look at how much Richard Pryor got in trouble for stuff. He said, but he owned it. George Carlin, people hated him. He owned it. He knew people were going to be mad. He was trying to piss people off. So when they got pissed, he also didn't complain about it. So I see that side of it as well. I've, I've seen sides of it where I go, whoa, like if we're ever going to be able to discuss anything publicly, then we got to be able to walk some lines. I've also seen sides of it where I go, there are artists who seem to feel like the new standard should just be, I can say whatever I want, and if you ever complain, you're doing something wrong. I don't think that's true either, but part of it also goes back to, I do think a couple generations ago, if you said the wrong thing, you might get smacked in the mouth for it. You know, that's the I, old I mean, Tyson quote there. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got the plan until they get punched in the <laughs> mouth, right? Like, you know, you saw it, um, Chris Rock physically got smacked in the mouth. I'm not saying I think that was right, but that was certainly old school. That was certainly old school. That's a very shocking to see because it's not how we handle things. So there's conversations to be had both about the chances that artists are allowed to take, but also how to accept consequences in a way that's graceful and responsible. And, and there's a whole conversation around this thing, too, surrounding bullying, Chris. And, and you know, yeah. when, when your kids are going to school and it's like you 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 think back to, like you said, when, when you got bullied at school, uh, you either stood up for yourself or you ate shit. I mean, that was really the only way it was going. So you learned to stand up and defend yourself. You scrapped around a little bit. Yeah. And that's the way things were handled. And it wasn't like a big deal. Like uh, it was a normal part of the school. Now, today, it seems like if there is a, a fight in the school, it's so blown out of proportion and so like uh, it's dangerous and all this other stuff. And I, I don't know if it, if we're doing the right thing with all of this. Uh, you know, I don't know where the balance is between obviously you don't want some kid to be bullied so bad he jumps off a bridge because I've never yeah. seen teenage suicides like I've seen now. Like yeah. we didn't grow up with that. We didn't grow up with kids killing themselves. I just Today, read about a girl in Jersey who was 11. We, we, we took her life when she was 11 years old. Yeah, that's sick. That is sick. here in Jersey this year. And last year, my, my son's class in Jersey here, we had a, a girl kill herself. And last year, it was a, a teenage boy killed himself. So it's like that was unheard of growing up. So there there is a problem somewhere with it. I don't know if it's actually in the physical bullying, if it's the social media, maybe that plays so much more of a role in this. What's it seems your take so on much it? worse. It seems so much worse. Like, I think back, my older brother got it worse than I did. And that made me learn how to be a fighter. Seeing him a couple years older, I was like, oh, I got to learn how to fight. This is not good. And I had to unwrap that anger in therapy when I was an adult, you know, kind of had to learn how to trust people after that. Um, but I look now, I go, man, maybe it was healthier to just get popped in the face in the church parking lot on the way home from school. Like maybe that was healthier than having somebody who I don't even know their real identity, like wage a hashtag campaign against me on Instagram and everybody in seventh grade is following the hashtag about me. Like, that seems so much darker and more insidious. Maybe it was better to just, you know, have a tooth knocked in the wrong direction once in a while. 
Yeah, I, I really don't know. I, I, I can never uh, put myself in my kids' shoes. And I, ha- I don't have them on social media as far as I know. They don't have the Finstas yet, the fake Instagrams. I don't know if they're hiding on me, my teenage boys. My <laughs> oldest is 17 years old, so I don't know what he's got going on. They know more about the stuff uh, than I can figure out with the phone. So uh, I try to keep an eye on it with my little ones, especially because I know that the dangers of it are out there. But It's crazy. I just uh, said my, my son, he, he's three, and he just asked me, Maybe like two, three months ago, I was driving him home, and he asked me if another kid in our neighborhood was a bully. And as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, I know which kid he's talking about. And the kid, he's not out. He's just, he's like, um, I think I'm allowed to curse a little bit, right? Like yeah, he's, yeah. He's just a shit kicker. You know, he's like a kid who, if there's trouble in the neighborhood, he's on the periphery of it at all times. And I was like, okay. And I felt myself having that talk, and I tell you, I felt myself starting to get mad. I was like, ooh. And, but I had to tell my son. In a way where I don't know if my wife would be totally pleased, but I kind of felt like it was my job where I was like, if that kid ever says anything to you, you can go back at him. I won't get mad. And I was like, and if he ever pushes you or something and you need to hit him, I won't get mad. Like, you might get in trouble, but I won't be mad. So just understand, like, don't let yourself get pushed around. And I'm saying this to a three-year-old, but after my background, I could feel my blood starting to boil a little bit from it. I'm just like... Oh, this is not, it's not good that already my kid's like, is, is that kid in our neighborhood a bully? And I'm like, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I, I feel exactly the same way, man. When I talk, I have three boys and then I have the, my girl is my youngest. So I, I've gone through it at each stage with all of them. And it's, uh, I get that same feeling. I think, I, I think almost every dad has to get that same way, that same feeling. We all preach the same thing. Hey, listen, I'll never get mad at you for standing up for yourself, you know? And yeah. so. It was it's, a bummer that he was only three. He's like this little sweet three-year-old boy. And I was like, ooh. And I made him, I said, why did you tell me that? And he told me a story that he saw the kid picking on another kid in the neighborhood. He was younger than him. So my son, I think, was going, oh, he's picked, this guy picks on kids literally than him. He might pick on me someday. And he came to me for the advice about it. And it was one of the first real moments I had where I realized, too, where I was like, oh, he's not, he's not asking my wife about this. Most of the personal stuff he's asking her still. This is one of the first things where he made a point of it's me and him alone in the car. And I think that was intentional on his end. I think he sensed this is a dad question. And uh, he saw a little bit of my crazy. Like I was saying, I understand my father so much more now. There's things that my dad did back in the day where I, I laugh at the stories. I'm like, man, you were nuts. And now I'm a dad and I'm like, no, you weren't nuts. You were. You were. You know, you know, I have a story I, I tell in my act right now about how my dad once threatened to kill a teenager who beat up my brother, like went and tracked the kid down and threatened to kill him. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's nuts. Now I'm like, well, it's not that nuts. It's not as <laughs> nuts as I thought. The story is nuts, but the action I understand. It took me 40 years to understand how you threaten to kill a child in your neighborhood. But yeah. I get it now. Okay. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about it. And obviously now uh, you have the, the Lonely Dad out now, the book that you have available. What are you working on now? What's next for you? What kind of projects, what shows, what, what do you got coming up? I just recorded a show for Audible called A Father and the Son. That's all about coming to understand my dad. That'll be out later this year. The Lonely Dad Conversations is out. I'm going to write. I had written one called Dad on Pills because I'm on antidepressants. And there's another thing. The idea of a dad Anybody going to therapy when I was a kid was like a weakness. The idea of being a dad who takes antidepressants, unheard of. Nobody was talking about that. So 
Part one was that. Part two is the Lonely Dad Conversations. Part three will come out next year. So I'll uh, I'll have a lot more dad-related stuff coming down the pike. And then I also have the goal, too, of, like, I got to get back to some jokes that aren't about being a dad. I got to start remembering what it felt like where this wasn't a totally dominant conversation in my life and my career. So um, I'm always cranking stuff out. I also have a podcast. I got a couple, but one that you might like called New Jersey is the World. That's all about growing up in Jersey. Yeah, d- definitely. And, and I know you have beautiful uh, anonymous. Anonymous where I talk on the phone to strangers. I'm always, I'm your average Jersey guy who's got like seven different jobs out you know <laughs> what was cool for me is a while back i don't know if you remember did you listen to the jerky boys growing up oh of course i, I, of course. I, I, I had him on the podcast here frank rizzo you know so it was, oh, a, awesome. it was awesome I, I was like i gotta get him on the podcast because i grew yeah. up like listening to him so uh i thought that was pretty cool but uh so all right, all right you got the two podcasts got the book out now got more stuff in the pipeline i'm gonna put the link in the description of this podcast so everybody can find you check out what you're doing uh, last thing I want to hit you with here, Chris, I love to ask all the dads that get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? I've got real advice that I've given to friends of mine who had kids after me, and it's practical. It's not. It's nothing like metaphysical or philosophical. It's this. Before your first kid comes along, you better memorize a whole bunch of songs you like. Memorize the lyrics to a whole bunch of songs. Because if your kid's like my kid, you're going to be up at two, three, four, five in the morning singing kids' songs, trying to get that kid to go back to sleep. And there are a few songs in my life. I didn't have all that many songs totally memorized with the lyrics. And then not all of them are appropriate for kids. So it's like it's a limited thing, a limited amount of songs. And I realized, I've told some friends of mine, there were songs I loved my whole life and I hate them now. I never want to hear them again because I sang them. That first year he was alive, there's a couple songs by the Pogues. I love the Pogues. I'm, I'm Irish-American, Irish Catholic growing up. I love the Pogues. There's a couple Pogues songs. If I ever hear again, I'll get this PTSD because I'll be like, I sang this 250 times in the first six months of that kid's life, miserable, awake in the middle of the night. So <laughs> diversify the catalog of songs you have memorized so that when you are up in the middle of the night, you don't ruin songs you love. Yeah, wow. I, I love that. That's great advice. I love the message. This has been a lot of fun for me. I got to say, Chris Gethard, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here at First Class Fatherhood. What a pleasure. Thanks. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.